Father, we thank you for your presence that is manifest here with us. And we thank you that as Pastor John delivers the word, he delivers the word with boldness and in the power of your spirit. And we have ears to hear and hearts to receive. We declare it in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. You may be seated. Thank you. Glory to God. Is my folder Pastor John photos? No. Praise the Lord. For me, church never ends. Because for me, church is me. Church is me whenever me talks to someone else who is another Christian. And then, then we're the collective church. Otherwise, I'm a singular church. Hallelujah. And the more I worship God and the more I praise Him, and the more He's part of my life, the more my church becomes alive, which means me. Hallelujah. Some significant things have been happening in our ministry. I've been traveling. I've had some supernatural, divine assignments. Um, we've taken honor gifts to Brother Jerry. And uh, I didn't feel that I quite got finished last week in what I had to present to you or say to you. And so I trust that I will deliver and say to you what needs to be said today. I'm not going to read all of the Ten Commandments to you. But I'm going to read at the beginning of the Ten Commandments as they are found in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water above, water under the earth, you shall not bow down to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so he goes on to share more of the Ten Commandments. I, if the Lord is willing, I would like to share with you in weeks to come. Pastor Sharon has some things she has to share. Um, but uh, in weeks to come, I w would like to share with you that... Uh, When we come to church on a Sunday, when we talk to other Christians, we use the words like God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, and we use words like devil, Satan. We might use words like light and darkness. We might use words like love and hate. We might use a lot of different kinds of words that might reflect what is happening in the church. At the source of it, you are faced, you and me, we are faced as individuals with a singular, a very singular, very personal reality. And it's a revelation I've had a long time, and I keep referring to it, but it's because God gave me the revelation that it is so relevant. And uh, the singular thing that you and I have to face is, do we trust what we see, what we feel, what we touch, what we experience? Do we trust that more than the language that we use called God? So God is a question. Do you trust Him? Do you know Him? And do you trust Him? If you have received Him into your heart, and if He's the Lord and Savior of your life, you are still faced every day with the singular question, do I trust Him? Because every day you are faced with experience, with emotion, with touch, with sight, with logic with thoughts, and those thoughts and logic and appetites, feelings that you have in your body, they will constantly, continuously conflict with the trust of God. Because God you don't see. God is not someone who's talking to you with an audible voice every day, but your logic speaks to you with a more audible voice than God and you have to train yourself to listen to the voice of God in your spirit rather than the voice, of God, the voice of your logic. The more you spend time with your head, inside your head, the more you learn to trust what's in your head than what's in your heart. Which is why the Bible says you've got to pull down strongholds. You've got to pull down those thoughts and those reasonings and those ideals and those philosophies that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God because they happen where? 
in your head. You've got to physically pull them down and say, I choose not to go with that philosophy or that thought or that logic. I choose to go with what's in my spirit. Hallelujah. So when Pastor, I, I listened to Pastor Sharon's message a couple of times um, that she preached while I was away. And uh, so when it came to a moment when I knew that I was spiritually right in my delegated authority, in the actions that we took with a couple in the church, and yet sat in front of my pastor who never ever heard my side of the story, and he said, I don't see what you see, John. I had a choice to make. I had a choice to go with what I even knew spiritually and what I knew logically, what I knew organizationally should not is all of these things are incorrect. I had a choice to make whether I go with my head or whether I go with my spirit. And you have to train yourself to go with what's in your spirit, not what's in your head. Because your head will always limit you to the, the natural solution, whereas your heart, your spirit man, will always release you into your future. Your head can never create your future. Your head can only deal with the, with the, with the, the logic of the moment. Because the logic of the moment may be able to plan five years ahead, but you don't know. And nobody knew COVID was coming when they made a 10-year business plan. And so your logic can't deal with that, but your spirit man can. And if your spirit man is speaking to you and says to you, don't do this, rather stay like this, rather go. Your spirit man knows more about your future because your future is in Christ than your natural man. So when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not even have any creature or any idol that you make that looks like it. So I shall not go into the rest of, of, of it. The title of my message today is Beloved. And I've taken the word Beloved out of the word Hebrew... And I can't pronounce it. But it refers to a dearly loved one. It refers to a much loved person. In, in the Middle English period when it was kind of used and created... It refers to a pleasing love, a love that pleased, beloved. I looked in some other dictionaries, um, other than biblical word dictionaries, and uh, the word beloved means can mean darling, dearest, precious. Adored, much loved. How about this word? Favorite. 
cherished, treasured, prized, esteemed, worshipped, idolized or even lionized, highly regarded. So, part of the reason I'm sharing this with you today is because I want to do, I want to do re, uh, I wanted to talk to you more about the experience that I had with Brother Jerry and some of the things that I experienced that has happened to me and that I observed while I was traveling with him. So, it's not a coincidence. Brother Jerry is a man that has given himself, and I need to say this to you, Brother Jerry Savelle is a man who has given himself to traveling around the world to the body of Christ, churches like ours, around the world. Some, some of the churches he travels to are much, much smaller than ours. Because he doesn't go there for the money, he goes there because God tells him. And so around the world, Brother Jerry, oh, he's also gone to churches a lot larger than ours. But, but he goes where God tells him to go. And so Brother Jerry has traveled around the world. I think he has said on a few occasions, he's traveled to more than 5,000 churches in his lifetime. Some he's gone back a number of times. He has spent, and he has told us that, he has spent 22 days of every month on the road going from church to church preaching. One of the conversations we have, I'm not going to go into too much time now, but right in the beginning we talked about how much time he would spend traveling and living in hotels because they actually traveled to a place and did a three-week meeting, him and Brother Copeland, and he was serving Brother Copeland. So they would either stay in someone's home, but mostly in motels, not hotels. And uh, they, they just traveled around America, the whole of America, going from churches to venues to places to go and preach the gospel. I ask you, I ask you, do you think such a person is treasured by God? Do you think such a person is treasured by God? What about valued? What about... Uh, Prized. Do you think such a person is adored by God? What do you what do you think about much loved? He calls himself favorite, but surely favorite is because of all these other things. Treasured, esteemed. Highly regarded, would you not say that Brother Jerry is all of those things to the Lord Jesus? Now, the reason I started with the language is because if I say 
Brother Jerry is adored and treasured and prized by the Lord Jesus. And you just use the Lord Jesus in your everyday language. You minimize the connection between adored and the Lord Jesus. Because if you talk about the Lord Jesus, you depreciate somewhat the adoration that could exist and does exist between Jesus and Brother Jerry because we just use the word adored and Jesus too often in the same breath, in the same way that we use any other language. So I'm trying to bring us out of everyday language. It's like me, it's like me saying to Sharon when I say goodbye to her, I say, bye babes, I love you babe. Now there's no doubt that I love her, but in that moment I'm not really, uh, really speaking the fullness of the word I love you. It's just a greeting goodbye with a feeling that I do have a sincere commitment that we have to each other, but we're not, we're not tapping into those things when we say, bye babes, I love you. So when we have a conversation about the Lord Jesus, and we have a conversation about God and the church and all of that, and we talk about that God loves us and adores us, we have difficulty in evaluating what that means because we use it so loosely. We use it casually, so when we use it more meaningfully, then it has not quite the same intensity. So in, inevitably, in every now, everyday language, I know that if I say, love you babes, see you later, I mean, she likes that, we like to use language like that, it's, affirma it's affirming what we feel, it's rather than saying, I hate you, babes, I'll see you later. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You, you get me, it's a lot better. It's, it's scriptural to say it like that. and it's, it's a whole lot better to use those kind of words. But I also know that if I want I love you, babes, to have more impact, I need to go stand right in front of her face, look her in the eyes, and let the love speak out of my eyes then the words come after what's in my eyes, what's in my body language, what's, what, I'm, what I'm speaking to her without saying words. Huh? And then when I'm in her space and I'm looking her in the eyeballs and there's this intimacy without words that now is ex in existence, and I say, I love you, babes. It's a much different meaning to the one. I love you, babes. I'll see you later. What we have a tendency to do is that when we connect with God, we connect with, hi, God. I said hello to you this morning, and I'll say hello to you tomorrow. Are you doing all right? I'm doing good. Can I tell you about a few needs that I have or maybe a few things that I can discuss with you and then I've got to rush off to work. That's like saying to God, I love you, God, bye. 
that kind of thing is not what happens with a man like Brother Jerry Savelle when he's given his entire life to serving the Lord Jesus and his church. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Who do you think Jesus loves the most? Who do you think Jesus loves the most? It's got to be the Father, right? Because he came to earth for the Father, because he loved the Father. And him and the Father are one. And because they are one, he loved the Father and did the will of the Father. And of course, the Father loved him. Because he, although he could have been equal with God, he didn't consider himself to be equal with God. So he humbled himself, and so God honored him and promoted him. And made him to sit at his right hand and put all things under his feet. So the Father and the Son love each other the most with the Holy Spirit. Agreed? Who do they love the best? Who do, love, who do they love the next best? You and me. The church. The people that Jesus died for that have received him as Lord and Savior. Uh, this is important. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's important for me to say that Jesus loves the church more than he loves the unsaved. And some people will now immediately say, I'm speaking heresy. No, I'm not speaking heresy. I didn't say he didn't love the unsaved. He loves the unsaved, and he has died for the unsaved. And his death for the unsaved is equal forever. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, he died once and for all, for all unsaved forever. And that relationship doesn't change. He loves the unsaved. But those who receive him, he begins to develop a relationship with. So he loves the church more than he loves the unsaved. Go into any Southern Baptist church in America and they'll kick me out for speaking heresies. But I tell you that I can prove it in the Word of God to you. That God loves those who keep His commandments. And if you keep my commandments and you love me, you can ask the Father anything in my name and I'll do it for you. That's not the unsaved. So I'll answer you just quickly so that you don't have to fuss with me too much. You can listen to the rest of the message. I have, to get with, I have to get a little bit, a little bit biblically technical with you for a minute or two. Please try and stay with me. Will you? Okay. I'm going to talk first about the Old Testament love, and then I'm going to talk about New Testament love. I'm talking about beloved. And I'm talking about Brother Jerry Savelle. So the... Root word in the Hebrew, again, I can't say it, but it sounds like Aheb. Ah, probably Achebich. 
something like that that I have no idea how to say it, but, you know. And it has, a, it has a very broad range of meanings in terms of the way that it, that, it, uh, that it reflects itself. But essentially, it reflects itself and it is an expression of passionate love. It's an expression of love that is, is identified in passion. So there are, different, there are different ways and different words that come out of the root word of this word in the, old, in, in the Hebrew. And so the first word I'm going to read to you is a word called yadad. And it comes from Psalm 127 verse 2. And it's a song of Solomon. I have to read you the first verse because it will give you the context. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. So... This word is uh, reflected in the context of what he's trying to say here. You can build your life, you can build cities, you can watch over your life, you can carefully watch all the progressions of life, you can carefully build everything going on in your life, but it is the beloved who gets sweet sleep. It is not the person who feverishly does all of those other things because those other things are all vanity unless the beloved gives you sleep. And how do you get the, beast, the, the sleep? Because you love him. Not because you can build stuff. Not because you can build your life and you can watch over the walls of your life and you can guide and guard and you can try and do and manage and mix and I'll do this and do that because you're in his will and he builds the city with you. You get sweet sleep. He gives his beloved. In other words, the loved one who doesn't passionately build anything, just passionately builds the things God wants him to build. So if I just built a church for the sake of trying to be a pastor because I want significance, I'm building in vain. And anything I do in my life because I feel like doing it, and because I think I'm right in doing what I'm doing, and where is my marker, my identifying marker of why I think I'm right? I'll tell you what, hey, a lot of Christians, they look, they look for markers in the Bible that they can prove to themselves that they're right. But that doesn't make them right. The way, you be, the way you know you're right is that you are beloved. Beloved. I, I, so much of what happens when you are a favorite and you have the love of God in your life is because you are blessed. 
And so I just need to read you, not because it's one of the words of love, but I need to just read you a little bit of one Psalm 128 from verse 1. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. I'll tell you what, if you don't fear God, you can't walk in His ways. So people often ask me, well, what is the fear of God? Because it's also the beginning of wisdom. And people want wisdom. And they want, to, they want to try and surprise you about how smart and how wise they are. Well, my question is, how do you fear God? And, the, and so you say, well, how do I know whether I fear God or not? Is that you actually have a terror that you're not in the will of God. And some things are absolutely obvious. You should be in fear of God when it comes to tithing. You should have the fear of the Lord when it comes to being a church. And I'll stop right there for the moment. Praise the Lord. Verse 4 says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So when, you know, when I'm spending time with Brother Jerry and I have had the pleasure of observing the blessing and the favoritism that is on his life, it's because what I've been sharing with you about the fact that the love of God in its broadest context is, in the Old Testament anyway, it's a passionate love. It's a love that is reflected in desire. So if you say you love God in the Old Testament, if you say you love God, then the desire for the house of God, the desire, the passion to, the, to read the Bible, to meditate on the Bible, the Word of God, to be in the presence of God's people, to not have idols, to not have other things that you worship, to not put other things before God, that desire should be evident. So, guess what? We discover the word beloved in Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is because he, come on now, this should help you a lot with people that have used Psalm 91 and then they haven't always seen the evidence of it. This should help you. Verse 14 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. If you, if you watch a man where it looks like there's all manner of trouble that's come his way, but he has set his affection and his desire upon God, there is nothing any human being or any process in the world can stop him from God delivering him and honoring him. 
And the very thing that the world and the devil and the system wants to do is dishonorable. God turns that man around immediately to become honorable. You can't stop it. That's what happened to me with my pastor. That person who brought an accusation against me that my pastor ruled against me and judged against me, they immediately required my dishonor. They immediately required trouble to come to my house. But because I loved the Lord's ways more than I loved being right, I submitted to the ways of the Lord, and in that moment, I recognized that I was in the perfect peace of God. And those people who had brought accusations against me were in big trouble. Because they had no idea of the God that they were talking about that was now the God that I always had been serving. And so I wept for them in that meeting because I understood immediately what kind of disaster was going to come upon their life. And I prayed that it wouldn't, but it did. But in that moment, it was less important for me to be referred to as the honorable one, the right one, the respected one, the one who's got more power, the one who's got more clout, the one who's got more stuff, the one who lives next to the pastor and looks after his son and who's got all the influence and so I can do what I want in the church. It was less important for me to be in a place where I was spiritually right. How did I know I was spiritually right? Because it Everything I said was going to happen came exactly happened like that. And it was because I said it was going to happen like that. My pastor remembered my words and he judged that matter according to what I said and then phoned me and apologized to me for not hearing me. So what happened to me is God delivered me and then honored me. And whatever they tried to dishonor me, they had no, they, they had no handle on me because my life and my love was for the ways of God, not for the ways that I thought were the best. In fact, in fact, if you know me, I'm passionate about accountability. And, uh, and if you know me, all my life I have, I, I have been passionate about accountability because I watched church politics unfold too many times in front of my eyes as a young man. And I saw people's lives destroyed, including my own parents. And so I, accountability is a big issue for me. And so what was happening is that right at that time, my pastor had no accountability. Because he didn't hear what I had to say. So even though I was, I was in a position of responsibility... He, he was not accountable to anybody. Who is going to question the pastor's judgment against someone else if he's not accountable to anybody else? But God was in the room. And God was judging every person's heart. And God was looking at the, the words that were spoken and how... People's hearts were turned in that very room. 
And what was meant for my dishonor, God has turned to my honor. And not only has he turned it to my honor, but he turned it to my honor with my pastor. And so that was so important because many years later when God wanted to, wanted to give me and uh, put me into a place where what I knew by God was a message of faith, a message of life, a message of living the ways that God wanted us to live. That God connected me with Brother Jerry Savelle because of honor. And so don't think that because one or two years goes by and you can look at someone, uh, where are they going, what's going to happen? You know, they're not quite right. You know, they, they, they missed it. They missed it badly. Wait until God's got his say. In our case, it wasn't that long, but wait till God's got his say. Because from that day onwards, there were very few people that could hold that pastor in that church accountable for his actions. Very few people in that church could hold him accountable for his actions. But God put me in a place where I could. Because he knew that my, that my love for God's ways and his organizational structure was more valuable to me. And being right. Hello. Because he sets his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will deliver him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I will long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Does that not tell you exactly what's happened to Brother Jerry's life? Where the devil came after him with his heart, where he came after him with his stroke, where it came after him with everything in the Bible says, because he knows my name, because he loves me, I will deliver him and I will honor him. That is the man that God's connected us with. For decades now. Now we find another beloved in the Old Testament. And I've got two more to go. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 1 to 3 says, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from the Mount of Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand. I don't know if you're listening to this. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. The Lord came. Huh. Come on. The Lord came. Do you read that? The Lord came from Sinai. The Lord came. The Lord and dawned on them from Seir. So the Lord also came from another mountain. And he shone forth from Mount Paran. So the Lord came with all of his shinings. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand. This is not Moses. This is not Moses. 
He came came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. Every sit, they sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. This is what happens with beloved people. People that God loves. Finally, well, I read from Psalm 18, verse 1. This is the, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song and on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hands of Saul. And he said, I love you, Lord, O oh, my strength, Lord, my strength. I will love you, O oh, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. This is a complete reflection of the Old Testament love of God that is revealed in words, in passion, in desire. Amen. Do you think the love of God that is expressed that way in the Old Testament disappeared when the New Testament came? On the contrary, what's in the Old Testament began to reveal itself more fully in the New Testament. And so we should not be holding ourselves back when we come to worship God. And we begin to say to Him, My Lord, my strength, my Savior, the one who has delivered me. When everything seemed lost and gone and, and there was no place for me, you were the fortress I ran to. You have been my shield. You have been my stronghold. You have been my shepherd all these years of my life. When I have walked through dark places and I've walked through valleys that seemed like the shadow of death was about to consume me, it was your rod and your staff that comforted me and walked me through those places and then raised me up onto the high mountains. And you you, O oh God, were the one. You, O oh majestic, heavenly, wonderful being of God that lives in passionately in my heart. I declare you are my good shepherd and you will make a feast before my enemies and create a table for me that is so grand. It's so wonderful to show them how much you lavish your love upon me because I am your beloved. And so, in the New Testament, there are different words of love that are used. There's a word in, in the Greek, it's agape, there's phileo, there's eros, there's different kinds of words that are used to, to, to reflect love. I have to go back to the, to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verse 
14 to reflect the love that is in the New Testament because of verse 35, sorry, Daniel 7 verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given and entrusted everything into His hand. Maybe I've got two messages that might be book of John actually that I'm referring to here. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. This is the New King James Version. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. <clears throat> Just hear me out here for a minute. God was speaking from heaven and he was saying, This is my beloved son. Beloved one. Adored. Respected. Appreciated. Prized. Valued. All of the words that I've spoke earlier, all of these words are in, this is my beloved son. Passionately loved son. Hear him. Hear him. I mustn't get ahead of myself. Just, just a few more minutes. Mark 1 verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice from heaven, then, then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Beloved son. Adored. Highly prized. Valued. Everything. Everything that is. Passionately. Reflected in. The glory and the love of who God is. Is in that statement. Beloved. Son. Huh. So, God, and I'm going to put this uh, slide up now, so I'm reconnecting. What do I press? Pastor John's photos? No. No. Okay, where do I find it? Okay, got it. I'm just going to leave this. I'm not going to talk to this. 
for a moment. For God so loved, greatly loved, and dearly prized the world that he gave up his only begotten and unique son so that whoever believes in and trusts in and clings to and relies on him shall not perish but have ever everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through Him. He who believes in Him, who clings to Him, is not judged. He who trusts in Him never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection and no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe, trust in him, is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not only believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten son, he's condemned by refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. So this beloved son, God gave to us this highly prized, passionately loved son he gave to us. Yes? So that we who believe in him are now cut off from judgment because we have taken the believing of Jesus as the Son of God. Right? So the Father, John 5 verse 20, the Father dearly loves the Son and discloses to Him everything that He Himself does. And he will disclose to him and let him see greater things yet than these, so that they may marvel and be full of wonder and astonishment. Just as the Father raises up the dead and gives them life, makes them live on, even so the Son also gives life to whomever he wills and is pleased to give it. How can Jesus take on such a big responsibility? Come on. How can Jesus take on such big responsibility? Because he's the beloved son. Beloved son. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves his fellow men is begotten and born of God. And he's coming progressively to know and understand God. How do you get to know and understand God more progressively? I just read it. Come on. By loving your fellow men. Ah, no, but this person irritates the heck out of me. That's the space you're supposed to learn to love in. The easy part is, I get on so well, we chat so easily. I mean, it's like, you know, wow, we're just like two magnets. We're together, we just, we just hang out so easily. Well, you're not going to learn much about love there. 
Because you're just in agreement all the time. Where you learn love is when you don't see eye to eye and you've got to work it out. Why on earth would you take the trouble and the investment and the time to work it out? You take the time and the trouble to work it out because you get to know God in the working it out. If you're brothers. If you're, if you're dealing with someone who's not a brother, you've got to understand, and I trust I'll be able to get to this in the weeks ahead. You have to understand that they are ruled by darkness. And when you are bringing, when you're talking to people who are ruled by darkness, you must understand that you are dealing with persons that are spirits. And spirits of darkness will deal with the persons that are dark spirits. So when you're dealing with someone that's in the world, you're dealing with darkness and dark spirits will talk through them. Dark spirits will influence you as much as they can so that you don't progressively get to know God. So the whole world system is geared to design you to keep you in darkness so you don't get set free from Babylon. So you don't get set free from the way that the world does things, which is all about connections. Which school did you go to? Which university did you go to? What degree did you get? What connections have you got? What friends have you got? How can you go about things? Because those dark forces have created the system that if you belong there, you can work there. But if you're the light and you're outside of it, you don't belong in the darkness so that you can't access that system. And they don't want you to access the system because you show them up for what they are. Dark, empty vessels that have no life eternally. And we think that they are the ones that tell us what our future must look like. Because we can think. And because we give ourselves over to whatever expressions of feelings we want to have. And and we have lots of uh, feelings about a lot of things. And, and I can identify myself as anybody I want to. And who are you to tell me that I can't? Huh. And these people tell me they love God. They don't love God. They love themselves. And they love themselves and they love the dark places. They love dark people because dark people want to continuously perpetuate darkness. Because they're safe in the darkness. But when light comes and shines upon them, it reveals the darkness they're living in. So they want to stay away from the light. So he who does not love has not become acquainted with God. In this, in this the love of God was made manifest. That he sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if, we, if God loved us so very much, we also ought to love one another.
Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So, I put this picture up here. Let me take my remote control here so that I can... My, my, my message is almost over. So I ask you, I ask you today, when you look at these men here, you don't have to include me. Just look at Brother Copeland and Brother Jerry. I want to ask you, do you think that these are people that God would say, they are my beloved? Why would he say they are my beloved? He's going to say they are my beloved because all of their lives they have pursued him. Well, since they both got saved, they've pursued him. They've pursued love for him and they've pursued his love that he has for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ train and educate and impart knowledge to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to their own personal sacrifice. So some people might say, well, you know, if you've got a couple of jets, you know, what sacrifice do you have? You'd have no idea how many hours they spend flying on those jets. You have no idea how many airports they land at, how many cars they get into with people that they don't know. That drive to hotels where they've never stayed. That move and pray and seek God for the message that to preach to a group of people they've never met. And then when they finished with that message, they sit around and talk to people that they may or may not have met once in their lives before. Or maybe not. And then get, turn around and either go back to the hotel or go back to the airport, get on the plane and go straight back home and get home at three o'clock in the morning to start work again at eight o'clock the next morning and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And some people will complain about because they fly their own jet, they can't be men of God. But when you've gone and visited and you've taken the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to more than 5,000 churches, let's just say each of those churches had 100 people in them, just for argument's sake. How many people have you now touched? A minimum of a half a million people that have heard the gospel. Up close and personal. It's normally more than that. If you consider that some of the places they preach, they preach to 15,000, 20, 25, 30,000 people at a time. And you start adding up, then you say, well, these, these men have preached face to face from a pulpit because they could fly there and get there or drive there and get there to tens of millions of people. Because they have been passionate about doing the work of God all of their lives. My beloved, my beloved, my beloved. So, what happens to my beloved is that he has a desire, my beloved. 
He just has a desire. And I'm God. And so then, when Pastor John and Sharon are visiting with him, and he has a desire to keep sharing things with us, because he knows that his years are less and we have more years than him, and we are connected spiritually in covenant, and he wants to share things with us. Things that come to you, even if they don't come in words, they come in spirit. And so when my beloved has a desire, there's the desire. He sends another one who has a passionate desire to serve him and to honor the spiritual leader that has meant so much to his guidance of his life and ministry. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't heard a message. If Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. It has sustained me all of my life. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't heard a message having done all to stand, stand. I wouldn't be here if I didn't hear a message of in the same year he received a thousandfold, he received a hundredfold return harvest. Isaiah, in this, uh, um, not Isaiah. Isaac, sowing in, sowing in famine, that's the message. Sowing in famine. When I realized that it doesn't matter what the famine situation looks like in my life, I can still sow and receive a harvest because it's based on my faith, not the conditions that I'm living in. And even now I'm living by that same message that I sow seed and we do seed not based on the conditions that look like it's famine or it's like this, but we sow seed because... The seed creates the life because it's in the hands of God, because it's by His beloved. And He bypasses all conditions and all circumstances and all human things to get answers to you, my beloved. Hallelujah. And I know you saw this picture last week. But it's his now. And you made it his. I want to tell you that I have become aware of what you can access when you recognize the principle of my beloved. Because when you saw my passionate desire that God put in my heart, that my pastor, my spiritual leader is calling me. My apostle is calling me. He didn't even know why he was calling me. He just had a, and I got to reading you that from Romans. He just had a desire in his heart to call me. He wanted to be with me. He wanted my presence to be there with him. I like to think this. I like to think that just the same way that King Saul would call David to come and play the harp because he was a soothing, it was a soothing uh, uh, anointing when he came and he was in his presence and he worshipped. I like to think that my presence with Brother Jerry soothes him, brings life to him. On the other hand, he imparts life to me. 
And so in my heart, God put it there. When you go, he's not just calling you. He's not just calling you because he wants you around him. He's giving you an opportunity by me, John. And therefore, all of you. Because if you're giving an honor gift, you're recognizing a beloved, a favorite. And when you recognize that you've given to a beloved and a favorite, you say, now, that anointing comes on me. It's on me. I receive it on me. I'm going to live as a beloved, favorite one. I'm going to live as one that is protected by the Most High God. I'm going to live as one who is beloved. That's why God put this whole principle in place through Jesus. So that when we who believe on Him, we become favorites. We become beloveds. If we will, if we will do His word, worship Him, put His commandments in our, in our hearts... And love them, we become favorites. Beloved. Beloved. Much beloved. Hallelujah. Come on. When you are much beloved, many, 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 I can promise you, many people around the world would like to have a picture taken like this. There are hundreds, I'm telling you now, there are tens and hundreds of millions of people that would want to have a picture taken like this. And it's not just a pose picture. This is, a, this is a 10 years of serving Kenneth Copeland Ministries and Brother Copeland spending a whole day with him and Brother Jerry. Hallelujah. Come on. Glory to Jesus. I want to tell you something, Pastor Sharon and I are part of that are part of. This is not a faith statement. This is a reality. We are part of the, the Savelle legacy and we are part of the Copeland legacy. When George and Terry Pearsons see us at when they saw us at uh, when George was there, Terry wasn't there. When George saw us at Kenneth Copeland's victory campaign, I mean he had things to say to us. Many things he wanted to share. Some things he shared with me have absolutely allowed me to look at my own life and ministry and say, this is, hey, I mean, there's no encounter that's just by coincidence. So when Brother Jerry asked us to stay on for extra days, we made the most of it. So we found ourselves in the Branson Victory Campaign, and there I found myself standing talking to George Pearson. And George Pearson's in, is in animated conversation with me about changes that they've made to their ministry since I last was around. And what, how they have done it and why they have done it and how it's working and what's working and, and how this thing... And I'm listening and I'm saying, coincidence? Beloved. Favorite. Some people would say you're just right place at the right time. When you're a beloved favorite, you're always in the right place at the right time. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you, don't you like to be a favorite? Don't you like to be a beloved? You see, 
the Lord spoke to my heart and he said to me, John, I want you to talk about, about being beloved because, because we all talk about favorite. And so then everybody jumps onto this bandwagon like I'm a favorite, I'm a favorite, you know, and it's fine. But when you talk about I'm beloved, then favorite comes with beloved. And it kind of puts it into a bit of picture, into a bit of context for you. That you can't just say, because I'm favorite, I must be a favorite. It's no, it's because I seek him. I'm passionately desiring him. I'm after his name. I want to do all the things that he wants me to do. I want to obey him. I want to follow him. I want his will to be my will. I want my will to be his will. And I want to just be his beloved. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of Christians who don't know that they're beloved. And part of the reason they don't know it is because they're so self-centered in their lives that they don't say, well, I'm going to heaven, so I don't have to really love. I'd rather just live according to the lust of my own desire. And so then you're good to go to heaven, but you're not good to be my beloved. It's a big difference, eh? Oh, but I, but, but I, I sowed into Brother Jerry, and so I must be able to get his rewards. It's a bit more than that. Huh? It's a bit more than that. That's why the Lord had me preach this message. It's a bit more than that. Let's press. Let's press into God. Let's give Him everything we've got. Let's enjoy Him. Let's press into His presence. Hallelujah. Won't you stand with me, please? Do you, have, do you have further insight into why there are just people in the world that love God? Some people actually would call Pastor Sharon and I one of those people. There are just people in the world that it just seems like God really just blesses them. Right? And blessings keep overtaking us. You know why? I have given my whole life to following him. My whole life. My whole life I've been pressing into God. My whole life I've been seeking what the will of God is for the church of the Lord Jesus. My whole life I've sought and I have delighted myself in him. When I met this girl, I saw the same passionate desire for him. My heavenly father saw it in her heart. It came out of her mouth. And it, 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 that captivated me. I mean, she's gorgeous in every other way. But let me tell you what captivated me was the fact that she just loved Jesus that much. That it matched my passion for him. When I found my heart was knit to a person who loved Jesus this much, 
well, let's, let's get this thing done for the rest of our lives. And here we are, 42 years later, and we are still passionately serving God. Giving our all to Him. Giving our lives for Him. Going any place, anywhere, anytime He wants us to go. Hallelujah. And so, you know, people have this thing, they say, well, it happens to preachers. Well, maybe sometimes it's the preachers that have pressed into God that God said, I'll anoint them as preachers. Come on. You don't have to be a preacher to press. When I was in the army, I pressed for God. When I was in business, I pressed for God. And now I'm a preacher, I pressed for God. And all along the way, I was a favorite. Because I was beloved. I really want to close, you know, but you're all standing now, so this is a nice time to talk. Because you're awake. And I remember when I was a young, when I was a young, young salesman, and, and uh, you know, I... I was new to selling a particular product, photocopier. And I remember the sales manager asked me, you know, um, where do I think I'm going to, to end in, in terms of sales by the end of the year? I said, well, I'm going to be the top salesman. And they looked at me like, you've only been here a couple of weeks. How do you know? What do you know about anything? And so they asked me straight out, Why? I said, because I've got God on my side. And this is how I answered them. I'm blessed going out, and I'm blessed going in. That's what God promises me. And so with that kind of blessing, I will be number one salesman by the end of the year. And I hadn't sold a single copy yet. But guess what? By the end of the year, I was the top salesman. I wasn't just the top salesman, I was the top salesman that sold the distribution channel salesperson who had all other salespeople selling on their behalf. I surpassed her numbers as one person because I'm blessed, I'm beloved, I was pursuing God. Even in my going to get business, I used his word. I used his ways. I praised him. I honored him. I glorified him. And I even put him on the line with, those, with, with, with my manager. Put him on the line. Okay, God, now I've said it. Now you've got to make it happen. Because I'm beloved. Because I serve you with all my heart. And I'm a tither. And I'm a giver. The little bit I've got to do right now, I give it anyway. Hallelujah. Put your hand on your chest like this. Say, I'm a son of God. Jesus lives in my heart. I am no longer under the control of sin. Because Jesus lives in my heart. I receive him as the loved one. And therefore, I now choose to be a beloved one. To be a favorite one. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to just say I pray that the blessing of God rests upon you. 
that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It will not prosper against your life, your relationships, your business. It will not prosper against your health. It will not prosper against any part of your life that might seem like it's falling apart. I speak life to it right now. I speak rebuilding, restoration, and I speak the, the rebuilding of God, the refaithing of God into you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I ask the Father that His peace will rest upon you. That His peace that passes all understanding will guard, mount, will guard your heart against your mind. And so that your mind will not control what's in your heart, but your heart will control the anxieties of your mind. The peace of God is like a garrison of soldiers against the outside world. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And I speak to your business, and if you will agree with me right now, I speak to your business that you favor it, beloved one, that business begins to flow. The blockages are removed and the business flows. Blockages are removed and the business flows. Income sources that were not there last week will be there next week. Hallelujah. Financial well-being that wasn't there next, last week is going to be there next week. Hallelujah. I pray that your eyes will be attuned to hear the opportunities. Your eyes will see them. Your mind will be alert to them. And that you will receive them spiritually. You will see opportunities that God's got waiting for you. You beloved ones, you. Hallelujah. You, you, you favorite ones, you. Hallelujah. Glory, don't let the devil lie to you and say you're not a favorite. If you love God, you say, I'm a favorite. I'm a favorite. I'm a beloved one. Glory to Jesus. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Okay, tot ziens.